This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Cavalry Audio. Welcome back to Death by Southwest, episode nine. So this episode actually takes place in Tucson again. And our last episode, our last two episodes took place in Tucson. Initially, I wanted to avoid it, but I really liked this story. And if I'm being completely truthful, I I, I had been working on it for a while and had most of it written. So I figured let's go with it. So, oh, I didn't introduce ourselves. Well, let's do it. Okay. I'm Margo. I'm Jenna. <laughs> um, today's story focuses on Isabel Celis and Maribel Gonzalez, two young girls who vanished less than a mile from each other, two years apart. They didn't know one another and had no relation except for the fact that they would both eventually suffer the same tragic fate. And the discovery of one girl's body would ultimately help to solve the other girl's case. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so we're not going to do the kind of like fun facts intro on this one because we did that for Tucson and I don't want to be redundant or repetitive. I mean, I'm sure there's more fun facts, but... Well, and if people want to get a sense of place, right. say they just come in here, go oh, back to episode seven. That's and right. And you'll get a sense of place for Tucson. That's right. Perfect. Good call on saying that. I thought for this one, we could do two little different things before we jump into the episode, just because I like kind of warming up a bit, I think. Uh, I thought we could, which could be a really good or a really bad idea, but read some of the reviews that we've gotten mm-hmm. recently. And maybe even some of the DMs, because not everyone um, leaves a review on Apple Podcasts. Like We've gotten some really thoughtful DMs on Instagram as well. Why do you think Spotify? Because I listen to podcasts on Spotify. I know a lot of people do on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Those are kind of two primary the two ones. main ones. Amazon Music is now sure. Something. I we have actually have almost equal listeners on Apple and Spotify, which is pretty rare. Most of the time, it's way majority Apple. You know what bothers me? I guess about Spotify, not as a listener, but as a host of a podcast, yeah. is no. Written reviews. Yeah. 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 I Because I find them helpful. I mean, I think we talked about this before. Definitely occasionally when I'll, I, I'll read one that I hadn't like for the first time and it's not great. I'm like, Ugh, ooh, that hurts. But I'm getting better at reading those because I think that's to be expected. Like, like I think you said when we talked about this before, you're like, we're not for everyone and that's okay. We're not for everyone as podcast hosts or as people. That's true. <laughs> yes. No, nobody is. Nobody's liked by everyone. They, nobody's liked by everyone. Thank you. I wanted to read both the good and the bad because obviously if we only read the good, it's like, whoa, patting ourselves on the back here. Uh, and there have been some bad ones and just, you know, share our thoughts on this. So 
I'm not going to read all of them. Not that there's like a billion. There's 47. Are some of them the DMs too? Um, I'm going to, yeah, I'll probably read a DM or two because we've had, we talked about Sherry um, before. Sherry Laurie is her name, I believe. And she's like one of the, f- I think she's the first person who ever DM'd us, like a really thoughtful, nice, long message. And then she had also shared some information and it was, she's just, and she's continued to stay in touch. She continues to message after she listens to episodes and it's really nice to it's nice to kind of like have that connection with somebody. I'd also like to hear Sherry Laurie, uh-huh. Sherry Laurie's, if she had any suggestions too. Totally. It sounds like she's given a lot of positive feedback. Also keep giving it, Sherry. But yeah, someone who's a consistent listener. Yeah. What do you think we could shift or change? That's a That's actually a good... That's a good idea. So Sherry actually messaged us recently and she said, uh, I've just listened to the Sherry Black story again, LOL. And I'm listening to the bonus episode six again. And then I'm going to listen to Gary Triano again once I'm done with this, because I have to say it's the banter between you two that is the best part of your show. I always feel like I'm sitting with you guys and discussing these crimes over a glass of wine. The casual, we don't take things too seriously aspect is what draws me in the most. Unlike so many other podcasts that feel like a sixth grader reading a book report, you guys make it feel more like a weekly get together that I always look forward to. That's so fucking sweet. And it's spot on. It is a weekly get together. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I hope that is how it feels. You know, I'm not, neither of us are journalists or investigative reporters or scientists. So, you know, we certainly are not telling these stories in that way, but we're telling them and hopefully, I I just think that that's nice. A weekly get together. Cool. I love that. She gets it. Yeah. Thanks, Sherry. We love it. So Sherry also said in her message, with a dog named Duck, I have no room to comment on your dog's name, but I'm so curious as to how you landed upon Pilot for your dog's name. So I thought I would let you take that one. Because it's my dog, although I didn't name my dog. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Because Michael did not want a dog, did not want a dog for a handful of years, and then he agreed to a dog, so he said, oh, but I'm going to name it. So um, I had to remind myself of why Michael picked Pilot. And he just texted me back and he said, so there's two reasons. The first is named after Pontius Pilot, the Roman emperor who killed Christ. Okay. (laughs) And the classical book, Jane Eyre. There's a black dog, a black lab in that book named Pilot. Oh, cool. I did know. I had heard that, but I would have never been able to to pull Jane Eyre. Out oh my gosh, of my me neither. Yeah. I knew there were two reasons. One related right. to biblical something and kind right. of could be offensive to some people, which have you met him? Yeah. And also then Jane Eyre. But yeah, I would have never been able to articulate it. Yeah. So I'm glad I texted him. It's so funny because both of those answers are so quintessentially Michael in my head. Like, you know, something very kind of opinionated on religion or biblicalness. And then also something kind of literature, historically Mm -hmm. classic literature based, like those both feel super Michael to me. It is. Which is funny because meeting him, I would never, like if I just met him for the first time, those are not the two characteristics, qualities, (laughs) anything that would come to mind. But then knowing him, yeah, totally different. So some of the reviews, let's see. So there's another podcast I produce called Daddy Issues with Joe Buck and Oliver Hudson. And they loved reading. Oliver loved reading the bad reviews. He was like, I don't care about the good ones. I just want to hear the bad ones. They're hilarious. He thought they were so funny. One of them was like, 
I feel like I'm listening to my dad talk to his friends and it makes my ears bleed. And well, Oliver loved probably it. Probably because it, I mean, they were two dads talking <laughs> yes. as friends. Right. So, and, and I kind of get that. It's kind of now that I've, I'm, I feel like I've developed a little bit of like a, you know, I like what we're doing. It isn't for everyone. And I'm, we're both still learning as we go. So I kind of am trying to take them with a grain of salt, but also if, if there's a, a good suggestion within the kind of not not positive comment. That's okay. So some of them are just not positive. Period. Like yes, one of them was yes. just no feedback. Just like, oh, you guys suck. Yes. So, so so this person said, I really liked the premise of this, but the hosts are just insufferable. Two stars. So this person, Cecil B. Demented wanted to like it and like the premise, but we're insufferable. I knew I was telling Jenna earlier, I knew what insufferable meant, but I just wanted like a real concise idea of, of what this person thought of me. And what was, cause then I asked you and you didn't really give me a concise answer. You made like more of a gesture about what insufferable means. Yeah. It means insufferable means too extreme to bear or intolerable. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I mean, thank you. Cecil B. Demented. We appreciate that. This is, a, this is another recent one that I thought was interesting to hear. The title is Cool Vibe, Often Very Incorrect. And this person says, I like these ladies and the fun vibe between the two of them. It's cool to hear about unique crimes compared to other podcasts. I will say, I've never heard of podcasters in the true crime space having so many questions or just being straight up wrong. I don't listen to the bonus episodes where some of these questions are answered, but I'd really suggest doing some more work to make sure some of the relevant questions are answered slash correct. For example, shouldn't have basic questions about DNA on a true crime pod. Which, do you have, do you have any thoughts on that one? Well, I have no idea, but I'm going to make an assumption that this person is saying, like, people who are listening to true crime don't need a basic background overview of DNA. And guess what? Perhaps, but I do. I do too. So we're going to do it. Yeah, that's my response as well. I, I get that. I, I think that's a valid um, opinion to have. But And maybe we don't always need to include it in the recording. Maybe sure. we can learn and ask questions and maybe not always maybe include edit all the some things. Of, yeah, yeah, maybe edit some of that out. But I mean, you know, I listen to true crime and I've listened to true crime for a while. I'm also a producer. I'm not a... I'm not a forensic scientist or a, you know, CSI or anything. So, yeah, I know what DNA is, but I needed a refresher course. And I, I got to assume that a handful of people listening maybe did as well. So th that's one of those instances where this person, I think, good point. You're probably correct for many people. But I also think there are probably other people who are like, ooh, that was a helpful, you know, refresher on DNA. Because think we, you and myself listen or and have listened for however long to a variety of true crime podcasts and shows and documentaries. And it still hasn't solidified exactly for me what DNA is. And a lot of podcasts obviously don't share that, right? So we're going to be the unique podcast and share things that might seem, what is it called? Not mediocre. Common um, knowledge. Yeah. We're educating ourselves 
and in, inevitably then educating listeners. Or some, reiterating to listeners. Right. And or some, boring them. For listeners who don't need to be re-educated or reiterated to, they're probably like, oh, fuck, I know this. You know that 10-second forward button? I use it on a lot of pa- podcasts. Oh, it's so funny. Well, that's <laughs> Spotify. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you can do that on yeah. Apple. And actually, um, I was talking to somebody the other day, and oh, Nicole, and she was saying, I usually listen to podcasts on like 1.5 speed. Because people just like talk too slowly and this and that. Oh, that's and, interesting. And and I, she's the second person that I've met that does that. Like oh. just to like digest it more quickly. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Sounds weird to me. I've tried. I'm gonna it. try it. I don't oh, like you it. don't like it. Mm-mm. Okay, so let's do one more. All right. Let's, you yeah. Let's do. Don't have one more. Well, yeah. Oh no, I definitely do. I have many more, but um, we'll maybe do one or two more. And for anybody who we, who has taken the time to DM us. Uh, I try to respond to everyone who DMs us and really appreciate you taking the time to reach out to us for any reason. I thought it was interesting. A woman messaged us, a woman named Sandy Cakes on Instagram. She messaged us uh, about a week ago and said, I love the podcast, ladies. I listen while at work at the mortuary. I am born and raised and still residing here in Tucson. Keep up the great work. Very sweet message. Um, and I wrote her back and said, thank you, know, thank you so much. What, what a cool job. What mortuary do you work at? Maybe you could be a guest on the show sometime. And I also had said that to Sherry. I told Sherry, like, well, whatever we do, I think at some point we could do a bonus episode with a guest. Like, Is it'd Sherry be fun. in Tucson? No. Not that she has to be. I'm just no. curious. Okay. And so I, so I said that to this Sandy Cakes on Instagram. And she said, I really enjoy the podcast. And I work at Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery. But I could never be a guest on the show because I have the least interesting job there. I just work in the office. You know what I want to say to her? We don't even work in the office. <laughs> I mean, that's an interesting perspective to bring in. Somebody who who is around, you know, quite frankly, death and... and death, dying, grieving, individual, yeah. family, friends. Absolutely. Um, the last wishes type right. thing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So and then I told her so our mom is buried at Evergreen Cemetery. Yeah. So and she was very nice sent back a very sweet message and so I thought that was kind of interesting to hear from somebody who's right here in Tucson and works at a place where mom is buried. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting. It's a really beautiful Be- cemetery. That's what I said it's yeah. such a beautiful cemetery. Um All right, let's pick out one more Apple review. I think we already talked about the ones that said, you know, keep your anti-Thanksgiving white, we did, yeah. white hate. So we'll just blow past those ones. I feel like I need another bad one. Oh. There's plenty. Yeah. <laughs> there's actually not, but there's a few. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, this one was funny. It's it's titled, Why, Ladies? <laughs> and it says, yet another boring true crime chat fest between sisters. Boring exclamation point. Shame on cavalry. Uh, well, <laughs> I, mean, I appreciate your opinion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I assume whoever this was is going to no longer listen. Right. Not, definitely not listening now. But if if you happen to be listening, this is um, Massey Inc. is their name on, on Apple Podcasts. Like, I, I appreciate that. And also, like, let us know how to make it less boring then. Right? Yeah. Tell me some feedback. And then this is one more. Tell me if we've read this one. Um, needs improvement, maybe has potential. I don't, th- I mean, I've read it, but I don't think we've read it out okay. here. It says, as a fellow Southwest native and true crime fan, I really wanted to enjoy these episodes, eight as of now. 
but undocumented is an appropriate word to use as opposed to illegal. They are correct. And the hosts are so focused on being politically correct that they come off as straight up disrespectful. These hosts also do not educate themselves or may not know basic research skills. However, with sensitive topics such as recent murders, there should be more care and consideration taken into the research of these cases. That one, I'm not going to lie, that one hurt a little bit because I researched the fuck out of these cases. I'm not sure now that you read the whole thing. We may have said it, but I I think you should keep it. We may have talked about it previously. Also, in my mind, like, and maybe this is not appropriate for everyone, but it just is, like, through doing this, we are educating ourselves. So you are with us in real time while we are doing our best to be, like, honor the victims and families, be Mm -hmm. respectful, and say, we don't know shit about shit or a lot of shit and (laughs) we're educating ourselves through it because it matters and we care look you hear us talking in a in a medium that's new to both of us as hosts i've been working in podcasting for a while but this is the first show i've hosted so that is new and different to us and we're talking about something that we've been a fan of and listened to but never kind of created content and shared with the public about in true crime. So exactly what you just said, I think is really accurate. It is a learning experience. We are learning the the most respectful and appropriate and engaging and entertaining because at the end of the day, that's what this is, a uh, way to do this. We're learning as we go, which that's maybe true. some people don't like, which that's I can true. understand. They yeah. want someone to know the things they before want they listen. They want someone experienced true crime person. Right. Yeah, that and makes we sense. aren't. Yeah, that makes but sense. But we will be soon. That's right. You give us like 10 more episodes and we're going to be way more true crime educated. That's right. We're going to blow your socks off. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that's enough, enough reviews for this uh, little episode. And um, let's get into the actual episode. So today's story, as I mentioned earlier, focuses on actually two murders, and that is of Isabel Sellis and Maribel Gonzalez, who were two young girls who lived here in Tucson. And while these are two separate cases, they are very intertwined and interconnected. And I I obviously cannot tell you how yet, but... Um, well, except for the bit you said in the beginning, they vanished within one mile of one another. One mile of one another, yes. And that one finding one of their bodies helped to solve the other girl's case. So we're going to start with Isabel Sellis. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her and what happened. So Isabel was born August 21st, 2005 in Tucson, Arizona to Rebecca and Sergio Sellis. She had two older brothers, Sergio Jr. and Enrique, and she was described as a happy and energetic child who loved playing with dolls and going to the park. She was a first grader at Los Amigos Elementary School, where she was said to be well-liked by her classmates and teachers. From everything that I read and can understand, the Salas family seemed like a very happy, um, close family, and like close knit. Yeah, close knit. They got along well. They did. Uh, the kids were all involved in different sports and, and they would all go to each other's games and, um, you know, just a very f- from family course, first. Yeah, family first. Of course, you, nobody knows anything unless you're in that in the family, just like with a relationship, but close family uh, who seemed happy. 
And the night of April 20th, 2012 was seemingly just like any other Friday night in the Celis household. Sergio, Rebecca, Isabel, and their two sons got home late that night around 10 p.m. after being at their son's baseball game at Freedom Park, which was about two and a half miles from their home. The kids started winding down and getting ready for bed. Isabel's mom braided her hair into pigtails after she got out of the shower and laid out Isabel's softball uniform for in preparation. She had a little little league game the next morning. And then Rebecca kissed her daughter goodnight and headed to bed herself. And Sergio, with his kids and wife all tucked into their beds, settled onto the couch, excited to watch the Diamondbacks game that night. Mm. And he was, you know, keeping the volume down pretty low because Isabel's bedroom was actually located right next to the TV room. They It, like, shared a wall. So he wanted to make sure that he wouldn't wake her, which was not a problem because not long after turning on the game, Sergio fell soundly asleep on the couch. I'd imagine resting easy that his entire family was sleeping peacefully in their beds. Or so he thought. Don't miss what happens next in today's episode. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. The next morning, Rebecca, who was a nurse at TMC, uh, left for work between 6.45 and 7.30 in the morning. Sergio woke up around 8 a.m. and went to wake Isabel. But when he went to wake her, her bed was empty. He searched the bedroom thinking, you know, maybe she's hiding somewhere. Maybe she's playing in the clot. Like, who knows where she is? So he searched her bedroom. She wasn't in there. Searched the rest of the house. And then came to the realization that she was not in the house. She was nowhere to be found. So he called Rebecca at 8.05 a.m. and told her, I can't find Isabel. Less than 10 minutes later at 8.14 a.m., he placed a call to 911 to report his daughter missing. I need to report a uh, missing child. I believe she was abducted from my house. Okay, how old? Six years old. Okay, is it your daughter? Yes. Why do you think she was abducted? I have no idea. We woke up this morning. I went to go get her up for her baseball game, and she's gone. I woke up my, my sons. I, we looked everywhere in the house, and my oldest son noticed that her window was wide open and the screen was laying in the backyard. We've looked all around the house. My sons are, okay, running, yeah, my sons are running around the house looking for her. My first thought was, why does he immediately assume she's abducted? But then I think, what else could it be? She ran away? I'm not going to comment on that 
That's for fine. a few minutes, but I will say that let's keep that in mind that you just said that because it's that was very observant of you. Well, also say. the nine. I mean, I thought it as the nine one one person was saying it, but she said, "Why? What makes you think she was abducted?" Yeah, yeah. Well, and he was somewhat calm. Um, so Rebecca, at, you know, Sergio called her at eight oh five, and so she immediately left work and was racing home. And when she got home, her son was actually on the phone with nine one one. He also called nine one one, and she took the phone from him. And this was what her 911 call sounded like. I went to work this morning at 7, and um, I just, and I didn't even come and check on her. I said, don't come and check on her. Okay. All right, just take a deep breath, okay? <laughs> That's a stark contrast from yeah. the husband's call. Yes. And also, and I'm not saying like gender stuff, really, but, you know, people are different. Yeah, genders sure. respond differently and also people in general yeah. maybe yeah so seven minutes after that initial 911 call from sergio police arrived at the Salas house to begin searching for isabel they quickly determined that it was a case of child abduction though they wouldn't specify if a family member was involved or not or what they thought about that they also quickly brought in uh, two FBI dogs, one who was trained to find human remains and one who was trained for search and rescue. And they had those dogs do a survey of the family home. How did the police determine that this, they classified it as an abduction? Abduction pretty quickly just because of- What's the I'm, other option? Right. I mean, yeah. I'm, you know, she's six years old, so it's unlikely, and, yeah. and everyone was home. It's unlikely that she wandered out of the house. Her bedroom window was open with the screen pulled off. Um, I think- you know, the, all of those things led them to classify it as an abduction. If she was 16, I might say it's either an abduction or a runaway, oh, but she was six. Such a good point. And I hope you keep that in mind for later on in this story. Okay. So on Monday, April 23rd, Isabel's family released a statement thanking the community for its support and efforts in the ongoing search for Isabel. I mean, we're like two days in at this point, but apparently people really rallied the whole community, you know, quickly found out about this, that Isabel was missing. Police were obviously interviewing neighbors and going door to door and asking if anyone saw anything. One of their neighbors actually said that her dog was barking in the middle of the night and she woke up and she heard male voices outside. I think this was the immediate next door neighbor. She heard male voices outside very, very early in the morning, like in the early 3, 4 a.m. hours. But she couldn't hear what they were saying or anything like that. So it was, you know, interesting, potentially pertinent, but not really that helpful. Well, and also at that time, if this is the neighbor, correct? Mm -hmm. So if the neighbor woke up to her dog barking um, and heard maybe male voices, yeah, maybe it's like, oh, there's like a tussle over there or like someone's having late guests, you right. know, if she doesn't yet know or they don't right. yet know that there's been a missing child. She's then not going like, to be suspicious oh, over it. Oh, it's right. so loud. Let's go back to bed. Maybe it's more annoying than anything right. else. Yeah. So it was later released that the forensic examination of the house, which was quickly performed, uncovered some strange clues that were identified in police reports. Investigators found what appeared to be blood on the floor of Isabel's room, a set of work boot footprints in the backyard near an electrical box and on top of a gas meter, and a blood-stained shower curtain. The FBI also brought in profilers to interview the family three days after Isabel was 
declared missing or abducted. And a KOLD TV reporter said that, quote, law enforcement is going to look at the family very closely whenever a child goes missing. Statistically, three in four cases, the family usually plays some sort of role. And they did look at the family. That was the, That's exactly who they looked at first. And they were mostly suspicious of Sergio. And they actually asked um, Sergio to kind of distance himself from his family, especially his sons, because from what I understand, they didn't want him to influence any of their interpretations of the situation. And relevant or not, police did come across the fact that that several years earlier, Sergio had, you know, been upset with with his sons, had an argument with them, was reprimanding them, and had at one point pushed one of them and at the other point slapped or punched the other. And the boys uh, the next day at school were telling their friend about this incident and another mom overheard and called CPS and CPS got involved. And so this is, there's a record of this. And so the police just advised him to, you know, you need to stay away from your, we need to like keep you guys kind of separate at this point. And maybe that would have happened regardless of his previous CPS investigation. Sure. And it sounds like the CPS, they did an investigation and it was unfounded, even though maybe it happened. You know, there was nothing more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but still, sure, you look at family first, but what, what were the reasons that police were kind of suspicious of Sergio? I'm going to tell you. Thank God. So aside from the fact that he was the last person to see Isabel alive when he went in her room to kiss her goodnight around 11 p.m. before she kind of seemingly vanished, there were also a handful of other somewhat peculiar things that kind of just left a bad taste in, in detectives' mouths. It just There's this air of suspicion around him. The first thing is exactly what you said earlier, and it has to do with an expert on verbal communication weighing in on Sergio's 911 call. If somebody is missing, would you initially jump to, they've been abducted? I think it would probably be, you'd probably say, I'm not sure what happened, and you wouldn't say, you wouldn't go straight to the abduction. So that was a real point of contention for for detectives, like why why would he say abducted? She's missing. She disappeared. She's not here. But to say abducted feels like that's a very specific claim to that's make. like in other things I've seen, maybe not true crime stuff, but like movie or TV show where someone's all refers to someone as dead when it's not been proven that they're dead. Right. Or they talk about them in the past tense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the first thing. Um, They also, uh, police were aware of the fact that Sergio had struggled with alcohol for years before Isabel was born and kind of continuously battled with these serious feelings of regret for not doing more with his once promising music career because he was apparently a very well, well well-respected opera singer, actually. Here in Tucson. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And a very talented musician. But once he kind of got married and had kids... Truthfully, I don't know what he did in life at this point, but prior to kind of getting married and having kids and raising a family, he was hoping to make a real career out of being a musician and opera singer. So yeah, he's talented. I mean, he's very talented. So he, but he really wrestled with feelings of regret. Like I, you know, 
not necessarily resenting his kids or wife, but but a little bit like I, I can't have this, do both. Yeah, exactly. I don't have enough energy, time, yes. resources, uh, whatever to do both. Right. And maybe he wanted a family. Maybe he didn't. And then it just happened. Who knows? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. And it happened. And then, of course, I assume, I could be wrong, he loves his kids, so he doesn't regret them. But sure. he also reflects back yeah. and says, oh. uh, I wish I had done more with it. Right. He was also described by friends and family, as, and especially his wife and her brothers, as being pretty antisocial, that he would be polite to Rebecca's brothers, but they, but like Rebecca was close with her brothers. Isabel's uncles, they were around a lot. They loved to do family functions. And Sergio would often kind of just go close himself off in the bedroom. Like he didn't want to participate. He preferred to keep to himself. He was never rude, but he was not a very friendly person, apparently. Well, and it could be that. Like he had no desire to interact, socialize. Sure. Feeling socially anxious could also come off as like, I have no, I have no desire. It's not, right. I have no desire. It just causes me so much overwhelming emotion or anxiety that I step back. It's a very good point. I just like to show both sides. Yeah, yeah. No, that that is. That's good. One of the more concerning things had to do with how Sergio behaved f- immediately following Isabel's disappearance. A lot of people criticize this. Um, the fact that he, the day that Isabel went missing, so they woke up that morning, she was gone, police were there, dealt with police all day. And then around 11 p.m. that night, he went over and hung out at a friend's house. Like he left his family, went to his friends, hung out until about three o'clock in the morning. The day that his daughter was abducted, which was his words, from her bed. To me, I agree with that criticism. I think that seems super like, how are you not at your house with your family, hoping she's going to show up, waiting to hear any news? You're like, "Eh, I'm going to go hang out with my bro down the street. What? If anything, like, let's say that was his way to keep himself calm, to hang out with a friend, invite them to your house. Again, it doesn't matter. Don't be home with your kids. That's that's my common sense, which isn't everyone's common sense. Totally. But that's why I'm judging him secretly in my head. I am I am openly judging him a little bit right now. And then the day after her disappearance, Sergio and Rebecca went to the police department to speak with them about the case and you know, just how it was going to proceed and what they needed to know. And during this conversation, uh, Sergio said, when would it be appropriate to get back to nor- our normal lives because our sons have baseball practice? And then when the police asked him and Rebecca if they thought Isabel was alive, Sergio said, it's been over 24 hours and that isn't good, right? Which that one doesn't feel as offensive to me. Like, that's true. I think that we hear that on TV a lot. Right. Maybe he watched some two true crime documentaries. Right. Exactly. The the get back to our normal lives, it's been just 24 hours. And that's your question. That feels super off to me. It does. Also, I've never been in this situation. But I think like if I'm taking like the devil's advocate of what I think a lot of people are thinking, it would be like, okay, we this is a nightmare. We are devastated. Blah, we want to keep blah, blah, things good for our other kids. Our, we do yeah. have two other children. Totally. Totally. How do we... How do you suggest we kind of... Exactly. Keep, That's why they keep should things normal for incorporate them. Incorporate like a social worker or something in there. Yep. Absolutely. But the final kind of nail in this immediate coffin of like the suspicion around him, maybe that was a bad phrase to use, um, was that... A According to like the person who reads polygraphs, within a few days of this, 
the the police also, like I said, questioned the FBI, questioned the entire family. And Sergio's polygraph report showed that his answers were highly deceptive, while Rebecca's answers were honest. Mm. Yeah. So that's not great. But Sergio continued to insist that he did not know where his daughter was and he had nothing to do with it, despite the fact that police and at this point the public, because this was an incredibly highly publicized case here in Tucson, you know, they they doubted his statements. And Tucson police detective Greg Wright said, all the family members have been interviewed but we ha- and we haven't ruled anyone out. And so beyond Sergio, one of the people that police were looking into because there's no hard evidence. This is all kind of just, uh, I don't know if you call it a hearsay. This is one of those things that that Apple reviewer would be like, you should know what the term is. So I don't know if it's hearsay or circumstantial or um, just kind of conjecture about him. Those are the three words that come to mind. There's nothing substantial to say that he's connected to this in any way. All this shit looks bad for him. But maybe he's just kind of a dick. He went to his friend's house. He doesn't know how to ask, like, how to keep life normal for his other boys. Totally. You know, he uh, polygraphs are not, right. you know, they're wrong all the time. Totally. But they were looking at all of the family members. And that included one of Rebecca's cousins by the name of Justin Mastro Marino. He had made a statement, a public plea the day that Isabel went missing that said, we need your home safe safe and sound. We'd like to hope that she just went for a walk and is going to come back unharmed. And he was he was close with the family. He had um, at one point lived with them for a year and he now had an apartment very close by. So he was very close with them. You know, I'd imagine saw them on a, on a weekly, if not daily basis. So they were looking into him because very quickly after Isabel's disappearance, he hired a lawyer and fled town. You don't want to miss what happens next in today's murder story, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. That seemed weird. Like, why'd you hire a lawyer and flee town? Because police didn't really, they didn't have anything on him. This was several weeks after she disappeared. He fled. Several more weeks go by. The police are not really pursuing him. So we're getting into months at this point almost that there's nothing, no advances in the case. And, And Rebecca and Sergio are desperate, obviously, to find their daughter and tired of waiting on the police. So they contacted a private investigator named Jerry Kelly Snyder. And Snyder said, we looked at this particular relative, Justin, because, and his friend, because basically there are six hours that couldn't be explained, that couldn't be accounted for as to where they were the day that she went missing. And the fact that Shortly after she went missing, a couple weeks, he shipped his car off to Florida, apparently, where his mom lived, and hired one of the best lawyers in Tucson, a criminal lawyer. So that was the biggest red flag, honestly. But he was, you know, at this point, not named a suspect. And he was acting like one. He was acting or like one. De- taking the measures to seemingly defend himself like one. That's weird. It's a huge red flag to me. It's weird. It's a huge red flag. And also it almost feels like, and I have no idea, but it almost feels like too much of a red flag. I know you know, so don't look me in the eyes. It looks too <laughs> much, or it sounds too much like a red flag where it's going to kind of, 
in some ways, I think it might peter out somewhere. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. So they, um, this this private detective and a, a publication called True Crime Daily also, both of them, tr- multiple people tried to get in touch with Justin, tried to get an interview, tried to ask him why he hired this lawyer, but he would he would not speak to anyone. And it was just talk to my lawyer. And the lawyer would say, he's not going to talk to you. He's not willing to talk to you. Eventually, though, a friend of Justin's did speak to this publication called True Crime Daily and said it was April 20th when Isabel went missing. That's 420. That's a national weed smoking day. So of course, we were together. We were drinking and smoking weed and doing all that fun stuff. And um, his friend's name was Sebastian Hartsfield. So the private investigator said that Hartsfield and Mastro Marino partied late into the night, finally crashing at Justin's apartment around two in the morning and waking up about 8 a.m. And since he was since he was never police never found anything. Yes, that is suspicious that you hired this lawyer and left town. Also, what his friend had said was you know what, maybe he left town because he was tired of the of the spotlight, tired of having news crews, tired of being questioned repeatedly and and worried that he could say the wrong thing and might need, that could be misconstrued. Not, all of that is to say that it was suspicious, it did seem weird, but there was nothing that police could link him to this and that was, it was just a dead end. Nothing tangible. Right. So over the next several months, the search for Isabel expanded to include multiple states and even into other countries because uh, apparently they had family members potentially in other countries. Um, Hundreds of community member volunteers dedicated their time distributing flyers. Police continued to conduct searches. They were door-to-door searches, interviewing all um, registered sex offenders in the areas. Friends and family held multiple candlelit vigils in hopes of finding her, but still... Nothing. And this is months and months later. Yes, months and months had gone by. And no no family members, no one really at this point had been ever officially named as a suspect. But with no viable leads, no leads at all, the Salas family was still kind of under scrutiny and suspicion by police and the public. And while the family understood that that the police needed to look closely at everyone, including them as potential suspects, Sergio was very frustrated. Uh, He said, it feels like the investigation has never gone any further than right here, focused on us. And that is what what is so frustrating. And the frustration just continued to linger for years, two years after her disappearance, with no leads, no suspects, nothing. Sergio gave an interview where he again expressed deep resentment for how investigators focused on the family rather than potential other suspects. He believed that the law enforcement search was just for show. He said, if there was a purpose to this search, she should have been found within the first 24 hours instead of wasting three days interviewing us, having us down there for over 12 hours apiece, separating us, doing everything they possibly could to make our lives look that much worse we had just lost our little girl. So, oh. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, because think about it. And I, I still have no idea. Maybe it was Sergio. Maybe it was his wife. Maybe it was his kids. Anyone. I have no idea. And also, we're all in perfect beings. And, like, things can be slanted and shifted to to fit a narrative. Totally. Totally. Which and is that's, scary. And maybe that's why um, Justin hired a lawyer. I totally agree. I mean, honestly, I think that sometimes that's, like, a smart thing to do. 
So at this point, we're... So what are we, in 2014? Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. about in 2014. And the police and the public still had their suspicions about Sergio. But let's just assume that he was not involved, because at this point, there is zero hard evidence connecting him or linking him to this. So then the question remaining on everyone's mind was, who is responsible? Could it be another family member, a friend or acquaintance? Was the Salas family trying to cover up a tragic fatal accident? Or was it a completely random act from a total stranger? Who took Isabel and where was she? And we hate to do this to you guys, but you will have to wait until next week to get the answers to those questions and so much more for part two of the Isabel Salas and Maribel Gonzalez story. And with that, we will say thank you so much for listening. We genuinely appreciate each and every one of you. Please leave us a review on Apple. Send us a DM. We'd love to hear from you. And good night and good luck. We'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye. Bye. And if you want to see pictures of the victims, the murderers, and any additional related images, head over to our Instagram right now. Our handle across all social media platforms is death, then the letter X, and then Southwest spelled out. So D-E-A-T-H-X-S-O-U-T-H-W-E-S-T. Death X Southwest. Death by Southwest is a Cavalry Audio production. Hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Produced by Margot Carmichael. Associate produced by Jenna Schneider. Executive produced by Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Audio editing and sound design by Revision Sound. Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign-off phrase, good night and good luck.